0: Today's scripture comes to us today from Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. Though I I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that i may that by any means possible i may attain the resurrection from the dead this is the word of the lord
1: thanks be to god uh, please join me in time of prayer father we thank you so much that we can come together as your people to worship you and to praise you to honor and to glorify you father we humbly ask that would you speak to us now through the preaching of your word and have mercy upon us and illumine our hearts and minds through your spirit so that as we delve into this passage together, that we may be able to walk away seeing the surpassing worth of knowing you as our Lord and Savior. God, we commit this time to you, and in Christ let me pray, amen. Now, as we delve into this passage together, I, I would like for all of us to consider three things and the three po- points for the sermon, Uh, What is uh, forsaking what is rubbish, and the second point, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, and the third point, cherishing Christ above all things. Now, let's jump into the first point together, forsaking what is rubbish. You know, everyone has a past. For some, it's something they're desperately trying to forget because it still haunts them even to this day. The more and more you think about your past, you're filled with guilt and shame. But for some, it brings back fond memories of past glory days. You know, I was recently asked um, to to come and speak at a college retreat at my alma mater. I went to University of Rochester, graduated in 2003. And, And even to this day, I still haven't gone back to Rochester. So it's been almost 14 years. And I was recently asked to be the guest speaker at a college retreat. You know, at first, I was like, really excited, like, man, I get to finally go back to Rochester, and I started thinking about all the fond memories that I had on that campus, and then I quickly started thinking about all the prodigal moments I had, all the bad things I did on that campus, knowing that I was going to be reconnected, Being able to, I, I'll, I'll be able to reconnect with my former college pastor and some of the older brothers and sisters who invested deeply into my life uh, during those four years at Rochester. And I started having flashbacks because I remember one Sunday, the three of us, we thought it was wise for us to skip church and go to a Buffalo Bills game. And it was actually my first NFL game, and it wasn't even that fun, Um, but we just wanted to do it. And at that time, to make matters worse, I was serving in a praise team. I just, just didn't show up. Right? It's terrible, right? Just that Sunday, they didn't have a bass player. (laughs) And I remember um, the small group that I was part of and how I used to goof around and how I used to, you know, never take community group, the small group seriously. You know, at that time, my small group leader was actually um, Danny Cole's older brother, Albert. So if you want to find out some dirt on me, just phone him and he'll be able to tell you how I was um, in college. And I'm gonna be seeing him when I go back. And there's another older brother who, uh, as soon as I, I came on campus, um, he really wanted to invest deeply into my life. So he pursued me in a one on one discipleship context. And I remember just taking that for granted, and then I just blew him off. We never kept in touch, and then now I'm gonna go back as a guest speaker, and then I'm gonna to have to face him. So I started having all these flashbacks, and I'm like, man, I'm a little anxious. What have I done here? You know, in verses 4 to 6, Paul shares about his past. And he was an extremely accomplished individual. And notice what he says about himself in verse 4. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. What is Paul doing here? He's trash talking. He's calling people out. You think you're better than me? Bring it on, because I'm the greatest of all time. I'm on a different level. You don't even come close to me. Here he's boasting about his illustrious past, his upbringing, and his accomplishments. And if you look at verses 5 through 6, he actually lists his qualifications and accomplishments. And here Paul is showing off and flaunting his resume. And during those days, especially from a religious standpoint, this would have been one of the most impressive resumes. His credentials, as we will see, can be broken down into two categories. Number one, what he has inherited. And number two, what he has accomplished as an in individual. So he goes on to say that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and these are the things that he has inherited. And you may be wondering, what on earth do these things mean? (laughs) Allow me to explain. You know, Paul was born and raised in a devout Jewish family. He was not adopted into a Jewish family, nor was he a convert to Judaism. And he tells us that he 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 was from the tribe of Benjamin, and this tribe was a significant tribe in the history of Israel. It was one of the two tribes, Judah being the other one, who remained faithful to King David when the other tribes were rebelling against him. And did you know that Israel's first king actually came from the tribe of Benjamin? And what was his name, anyone? Any Bible scholars here? His name was Saul. And it is possible that he had been named after the first king of Israel, Saul. The land that had been allotted to the tribe of Benjamin also included the land surrounding the temple in Jerusalem, which was a dwelling place of God. So these four things that he has inherited, it's already set him apart, gave him a special and prestigious status among his peers, especially in the religious circle. And then he goes on to say, As to the, fa- as to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And these are the things that he has worked very hard tirelessly and with precision to accomplish as an individual and as a pharisee paul had an in-depth knowledge of the word of god and he constantly read studied memorized and meditated on the word of god he knew it inside and out and from forward and backward and he studied under a scholar named and he was one of the most prominent teachers during those days which is mentioned in acts 5 verse 34 and he also goes on to say in Acts two three, and this is confession, right? I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. He was extremely zealous in keeping the written commands in the law of Moses. You know how many of them? All 613 of them. And he did it religiously, right? As a Pharisee. And in his commentary to uh, in his commentary on the, on, the, on the epistle to the Philippians, Dennis Johnson actually comments on Paul's credentials, and this is what he writes. Although Saul did not personally choose his circumcision, his people, his tribe, and his parents' commitment to maintain their Hebrew language and customs, each of these factors contributed to his preeminence within Judaism. As you can see, this list shows These credentials show that Paul literally had it all. He had family heritage, social status, biblical knowledge, religious zeal, and a moral lifestyle. Some he has inherited, some he has accomplished. The question I want all of us to think about as we um, think about Paul's credentials, credentials here is, what do Paul's credentials all have in common? Let's think about that. Family heritage. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Not necessarily a bad thing, right? Social status. Having a social standing in society, is that a bad thing? I don't think so. biblical knowledge. Did I say more? It's not a bad thing. Religious zeal. A moral lifestyle. They're not necessarily bad things. In fact, they're all good things in and of themselves. These credentials, these qualifications, these accomplishments that Paul mentions in verses 5 through 6. But get this. But here Paul warns us that the very things that actually kept him from seeing the surpassing worth of Christ weren't necessarily bad things but good things. Good things. And unless we are careful because none of us are immune to this, this can also happen to us. Especially living in a Western society, especially living in America, if we are not careful, the good things that God has blessed us with, the good things in our lives can actually end up keeping us from seeing the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And this is a solemn warning that Paul gives us. Jump into our second point, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I want you to turn with me to verse 7. Notice how Paul begins verse 7 with a conjunction, but, and this is very, very important. Why is that? The question we need to ask ourselves is, what triggered Paul to make this heartfelt confession in verses 7 and onward, which actually contradicts what he has already declared in the previous verses, in verses 4 through 6. What happened to Paul? Something must have happened, right? And starting verse 7 and with this conjunction, Paul is actually telling us about a spiritual turning point in his life. Before he met Christ, he was Saul, and these were his credentials. But now after encountering Christ on the road to Damascus and experiencing his saving and amazing grace and being transformed from the inside out, and now as Paul, whose identity and self-worth was firmly grounded in Christ, he says, this is who I was, but no more. This is who I am now. Now, concerning Saul's conversion, Dennis Johnson writes, In that terrifying, paralyzing, price-shattering encounter on the Damascus Road, Saul suddenly made two shocking discoveries. First, the religious credentials that he had amassed through strenuous effort were worse than worthless. Every, every, every deposit that Saul thought he had been making into his account in the presence of God was actually, he now knew, was just one more debit. All this beautiful fruit that he thought he was producing for God's pleasure was rancid, rotten, repugnant, rubbish. As forcefully as he can, Paul pronounces the resume in which he once rested his confidence to be both personally repellent and objectively defiling before the face of God. Saul's second discovery was that his previous credentials had been shown to be worthless, worse than worthless, repellent by the infinitely more valuable treasure he, that he had found, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul has gladly forfeited all else, his reputation, self-respect, standing in the community, personal safety and more, in order to gain Christ, to be found in him and to, and to know him. This is what Paul is telling us here. This is who I once were. And this is what I used to treasure before I met Christ. But now, no more. I consider them as rubbish because Christ alone is my priceless treasure. And I want to draw your attention to the word count, the verb count in verses 7 and 8. And especially how this word, this verb is being used in verses 7 and 8. If you look at verse 7, this, this word, this verb count is being used in a perfect tense, which is used to describe an action that has been completed. But if you turn to verse 8, Paul actually uses the verb count in, in the present tense. And what is my point here? So people, some people may, may, may have been wondering, is this, is this a, a, a mistake that Paul ha- has once made, and is, is he regretting his decision to follow Christ? Because in verse 7, it's in the perfect tense. But in verse 8, it is in the present tense. And what Paul is saying here, and he's, he's declaring this, When I made Christ, and this is what I believed, but I still believe it to be true, even to this day. I have absolutely no regrets. And even now, I continue to regard every one of those virtues, my credentials, as rubbish compared to Christ, compared to gaining Christ, compared to being found in Christ. I came to this country in 92, and... During that time, I didn't know much about America, but I know one thing I did was um, watch pro wrestling, <laughs> WWE, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Axel Jim Duggan. And I don't know if you guys remember who these um, characters were. And I also watched NBA. And during, the, during those days, you know, Michael Jordan, Eric Jordan, I mean, he was just reigning. He was just dominating the competition. Still the best player ever, too play in the NBA, right? But in 92, Gatorade actually um, released a commercial with Michael Jordan called Be Like Mike. How many of you actually remember this commercial, Be Like Mike? I, I thought about actually showing you uh, this, this one-minute uh, clip, this commercial, but just go home and YouTube it. But there was a com- com- Gatorade commercial in 92 called Be, Be Like Mike, and let me just read you the lyrics from this commercial, Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike if I could be like Mike. Like Mike if I could be like Mike. Be like Mike. Be like Mike. Again, I try. Just need to fly. For just one day, if I could be that way, I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike if I could be like Mike. I want to be. I want to be. I thought about singing this phrase but it's like no <laughs> like mike or if i could be like mike during those days the religious people all the pharisees to them their their anthem was be like paul be like saul because that's who they looked up to i mean look at his credentials look what he has listed in verses five and six his qualifications his accomplishments It was an impressive resume from a religious standpoint, right? And all Pharisees and religious people and all the people wanted to be like Saul. Why? Because he was the MP, the most valuable Pharisee. They all wanted to be like him. They wanted to bask in his presence. They wished, if I could just have one of the things that he mentioned in verses 5 and 6, I would have been completely happy, but Paul had it Oh. But considering the fact that these words are coming directly from Saul, a former MVP, most valuable Pharisee, who now renounced all these things, it makes them even more compelling. And what is Paul saying in these verses? I consider them as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. And in, in, in an essence, what he's saying is, I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus. These things, as precious and valuable, they may appear to be from the worldly standpoint, but I don't care anymore. I would rather have Jesus. What Paul once considered precious and valuable, which are the things mentioned in verses 5 and 6, he now regards them as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of Christ. And Paul gladly, gladly counts everything as loss compared to Jesus Christ. You know, Paul uses the word rubbish specifically to accentuate the surpassing worth of knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, the word rubbish, do you know what it means? Anyone? Any Greek scholars? The word rubbish literally means dung. Dung in Korean dirty diaper right it means useless waste something that is utterly disgusting and he is using this very specific word which means dung, which means something that is utterly worthless and disgusting he's using that to make a point here you know these things that i used to live for these things that i used to treasure the things that he has listed in verses five and six he's saying to me Because now I have Christ, these things are rubbish. These things are like dung. These things are completely worthless to me compared to Christ. And he's making that point here. I once used to love them and live for them, but no more. But no more. Because I have Christ in my life. Notice what Dennis Johnson says in his commentary to Philippians concerning this. From the standpoint of qualifications that might provide a basis for confidence in the flesh, Paul could go toe-to-toe with the Judaizers, and he could best their most pious champion. He lists his credentials to show that his embrace of the gospel is not a matter of sour grapes or an admission of failure on the part of a sore loser who cannot match others' achievement. But he also wants to reassure Gentile believers that Christ and his righteousness are infinitely more valuable than the best that conscientious law-keeping could ever offer. If you are honest with yourself, you admit that the same spiritual self-reliance that breeds a sense of superiority over others can just as easily feed feelings of insecurity. Have I done enough? Am I good enough? Paul shares his own story to commend to us the amazing grace of God which simultaneously shatters our, own, our pride and quiets our qualms by directing our hearts upward and outward to rest in Jesus the Savior alone. As, he, as you can see, Paul is saying, I now gladly, with joy, consider all these things which I've been living for, which everyone else during those days were living for, a chasing after. Paul is saying, You know, these things, I don't care anymore. They're rubbish compared to Jesus, and I gladly forsake them in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, and to know him, in order that I may live for his kingdom and his glory. And why? How can he make this confession? Because he found Christ, or like Christ found him. And he realized, by the grace of God, that there's absolutely nothing more precious and valuable than knowing him, gaining him, and being found in him. Let's jump to our last point, cherishing Christ above all things. Let's turn to verses 9, 10, and 11. Here, Paul lists what he has gained through faith in Christ, spiritual wealth, spiritual blessings, that he has received through faith in Christ. You know, as he was listing those credentials in verses 4 through 6, Paul was in a nutshell also telling us, I had all these things, but I was spiritually bankrupt. Because these things still cannot pave a way for me to stand before God. Because Isaiah, as, as, as Isaiah 64, 6 reminds us, even our best deeds are like filthy rags before God. So, Paul is saying, Yeah, I might have, I had all these things, but I was still spiritually bankrupt. But then I met Christ and everything has changed. And in verses 9 through 11, now he lists the spiritual blessings, spiritual wealth that he has received through faith in Christ. And what is the spiritual wealth? In verse 9, he talks about not having my own righteousness, but Jesus' perfect righteousness. He was a sinner saved by grace. And he knows for sure that whatever accomplishments that he has made as a Pharisee, living religiously, living a good life, he realized that all these things were filthy rags before God. It's only Christ on the cross who can redeem, who can save, who can atone for our sins past, present, and future. And he mentions that in verse 9, justification. It was a past event, but it was a once and for all event. So if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, no matter how ugly or messy your past may be, you are redeemed because Christ bore all of that on the cross 2,000 years ago, and he did it once and for all. In verse 10, he also talks about sharing in Christ's sufferings and becoming more and more like him. What is he talking about? The process of sanctification, becoming more and more like him. And this is an ongoing process for you and me. Whether you see it or not, in your, in your own life, we are becoming more and more like Christ every day because of the indwelling spirit of God who continues to work in us. And this will continue until, until the second coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, he talks about the resurrection from the dead our glorification, where we are going. And this is how our story is going to end, right? Justification, sanctification, glorification. What Christ did for us 2,000 years ago on the cross once and for all, what God is doing now, present in our lives, and where we are going, our future, guaranteed. And Paul actually began this epistle, and in in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I am confident of this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will finish this work of redemption in our lives, and this is a guarantee. As as Pastor Scott Salls reminds us, if your hope is in Jesus, the worst case future scenario for you is resurrection and everlasting life. Resurrection and everlasting life. This is what we have been given in Christ. And now Paul treasures this more than anything. You can care less about what he has mentioned in verses 5 and 6, his credentials, because that's not who he is anymore. His identity and self-worth is firmly grounded in Christ. I used to watch a show called antiques roadshow anyone know what that is any any fans here or at least if you're ashamed don't raise your hand just (laughs) not i see you i see some of you smiling already that means you know what this show is (laughs) i used to watch this show uh, not anymore because i thought it was interesting i mean the point of the show is um people from just all over they bring an item that they think is valuable and then um the appraiser from the show will tell them um it's either it's it's either uh, worth something or this is like worthless right i remember this specific episode where this gentleman he brought his collection this beautiful collection of chinese carved rhinoceros horn cups and this is something that uh, he started collecting back in the early 70s and and he fell in love with the first one that he obtained so he actually went after the other four and by contacting you know, private individuals and going through other um, auction houses and, uh, and antique dealers, he was able to acquire the, the remaining four. And he, he brought this collection to the shop because he knew he had something um, valuable, but he, did, he just didn't know the true value of it. And, and, and as the appraiser, uh, his name was... Um, I do believe Lark Mason, and he's an, an expert in um, Asian arts. And then the moment he saw, he knew this was, this was a priceless treasure. But this guy, they had no idea. So he started asking some questions. So when did you start collecting, and how much did you actually spend to, to acquire all five of this collection? And, and he spent around $5,000 um, to, to, to um, complete this collection. And then Lark, and this guy, Lark Mason, he spent some time explaining the history behind this beautiful collection. And then at the end, lo and behold, he, to- he asked uh, the, the million dollar question, right? How much do you think this is worth? So this guy, he's like, well, I've been doing my own research and the, the responses that have been uh, strong it, it's enough, been, it's been crazy. It's a lot more than what I think, but I still don't know how much it is. And this is what, the guy told him it's actually worth right now in the market between $1 million and $1.5 million. And then the guy was like flabbergasted, like, serious? And then he chuckled. I guess I don't have to depend on social security alone. It's like, you know. And then he realized that he had been living with this treasure all along, but he just didn't know because he failed to see the true of this beautiful collection. I mean, he knew that it would be good and valuable, but he just didn't know that it would be that good. You know, sometimes I think that we tend to have a moment like that, especially when we walk with Christ and in our relationship with Christ. I think our problem is We just fail to see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And our problem is that we feel as if we are doing God a favor by showing up on Sunday, by participating in ministry, becoming a little bit uncomfortable to advance God's kingdom. We feel like we're doing God a favor, and that is our problem. You now, the Bible portrays our relationship to, G- to Jesus as a spiritual marriage, just mentioned in Ephesians chapter 5, right? The question I have for, for all of us is Have you ever felt like you had to sacrifice a little bit too much in order to follow Jesus Christ? Have you ever had that thought or struggle? And the follow up question that I have for you is this Would you have signed? a prenuptial agreement. If only such a thing was available and even offered to you by Jesus himself to make sure that you can get your good life back and with everything in it, just in case the spiritual marriage to Jesus does not work out in the end, would you have signed the prenuptial agreement? Because you want it all back? Because you still think that the things in your life is more valuable than Christ himself. I think this is the struggle that we're going to continue to have as Christians in our brokenness. But I really pray and hope that as the Spirit continues to work in our hearts and lives and as we become more and more like him and as we encourage each other to, to continue to grow up in the gospel together, And as we point each other more and more towards Christ, I really pray and hope that that from the bottom of our hearts that we can make the same confession, like the one that Apostle Paul is making here, because he has personally experienced the grace of God, the saving and amazing grace of God, right? I consider them rubbish, because I would rather have Jesus, because he is the priceless treasure. And our problem is that we just fail to see and realize and appreciate what it is that we have been given in Jesus Christ. Something to think about. And because Jesus was Paul's priceless treasure, he was able to gladly give up everything for Jesus. And he was able to gladly give everything to Jesus because he had been given the best thing possible. So all these other things, rubbish, I don't care anymore. Jesus, take it, use, use it for your kingdom and your glory, right? Really praying up that we can also get to that place where we can make the same confession, I'd rather have Jesus. How do you think Apostle Paul lived out the rest of his life after encountering Christ on the road to Damascus, which forever changed him from the inside out? He experienced the gospel transformation, right? How do you think he lived out the rest of his life? I want us to turn t- together to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. I'm not sure if the, if the oh, there you go, okay. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's how he lived out the rest of his life. From a worldly standpoint, there's nothing glamorous about that life. There's nothing about that life that says, I want that. But Paul lived this way. But he did it with joy. Why? How? Because Christ was his treasure. And he laid down his life And he he gave everything that he had, all that he was and all that he had to Christ so that God would use him to help others see the same surpassing worth of Christ that he saw. So that they can treasure Christ with him together. It was actually the good things that kept him from following Christ. Seeing the surpassing worth of Christ. What about you? What are some of the good things in your life that God has blessed you with? That God has lavished upon you? What are those good things? You know, in and of themselves, they're not necessarily bad things. But I really want to challenge you to be honest with yourself and and then reflect and assess where your heart is. Are there any good things in your life? that's getting in the way of seeing the surpassing worth of Christ to the point that you say, I'd rather have Jesus. God, here I am. Use me for your kingdom and glory. What are those things? But I do believe that Paul is not saying that if God has given you a, a, a social standing in community, if God has blessed you with resources beyond measure, if God has given, placed you in a position of influence, Paul is not necessarily saying that, okay, quit your jobs and get rid of all the things and then just follow Christ. But I do believe that the moment you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you know for, a, for sure, absolutely sure from the bottom of your heart that Christ is your priceless treasure, I do believe that these things, these good things that God has given you, they can become avenues through which you can treasure Christ even more. And to tell the people around you and to show the people around you that Christ is my treasure. And I do believe that this is possible. So what is it going to be, church? Can we, with Paul, make this confession, I'd rather have Jesus? You know, I wanted to end by reading this hymn. It's called, I'd rather have Jesus. And I'll be reading verse, uh, verse 1 and 2 and the chorus. And let's pray together. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. May that be our confession all the days of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness in our lives. I thank you for your mercies. I thank you for your grace and your unfailing love. Father, help us so that the very confession that Paul has made, I rather have Jesus. I consider all things as rubbish compared to knowing you. May that also be our confession, but not just from our lips, but may it come from the bottom of our hearts. Father, we need you. Thank you that the work that you began in our lives, you'll finish. But every day, as we continue to to be your faithful gospel witnesses in the places that you you have called us to be, help us to live in such a way that we will show the world around us that Christ, you are our priceless treasure. Father, we love you. Cannot thank you enough. And in Christ, let me pray. Amen. Just continue to worship God as we give our tithes and offerings. If you're visiting, if you're visiting us today, uh, please do not feel obligated to give.